welcome everybody to all of our campuses. Way to go. You made it to church today. I also welcome those of you who are watching online. Always glad when you can join us online. We, we consider you to be part of our congregation, so uh, welcome to you as well. Hey, before we dive into the message today, uh, two weekends ago, Jason Strand challenged our church to dig deep and to make a donation to those who are less fortunate than we are. And our goal was $500,000, half a million dollars, a lot of money that would go out our doors to our local and global partners. And we just were just under that goal the first weekend, $450,000, which was fantastic. But as of last weekend, we, we uh, succeeded, superseded, exceeded, that's the word, exceeded our goal. And the total was $575,000 that are going to go to our local and global, global partners. It's fantastic. I just... This church is amazing, continues to amaze me, uh, your generosity, and every penny will go toward those outside our doors who are less fortunate than us. So way to go, church. But I want to begin uh, asking a question today. Don't raise any hands, but have you ever walked down a path that you regret? Places you wish you wouldn't have gone, parties you wish you had never attended, people you wish you would have never met, websites you wish you had never visited, purchases that you wish you had never made. Most of us, including myself, have made some poor decisions that have led to bad outcomes. When my son was 15 years old, I noticed he was online one day searching for an older Chevy Camaro, and I said, what you doing, Dave? And he said, looking at Camaros, they're so cool, Dad, and some of them are under $2,000. And I looked over his shoulder, and they were cool, but there was no way I would let him ever get one of these cars. He was 15, couldn't drive, had a part-time job, only had a little money in the bank, then, you know, who would fix this car? Uh, who would insure it? Who would put gas in it? And I let him dream about getting a car, but there's no way this was going to happen. A month later, he and I were traveling up to the North Shore to do some grouse hunting together, and we were north of Two Harbors when I glanced over on the side of the road, and there was a red Camaro for sale sitting under a pine tree. Drove past it and very casually said to Dave, did you see the Camaro back there? Without any emotion, he said, yeah, because he knew uh, there's just no way. But for some, for some reason, I said, want to go see it? <laughs> and as soon as the words were spilling out of my mouth, I, said, I thought to myself, why did you say that? That's the big mistake. As soon as he sees it, he's going to want it. He's going to love it. And you're going to have to crush his spirit and tell him no. I said, you want to go see it? He said, can we? I said, we're not going to buy it. We're just going to go look at it just for fun. So I did a U-turn, drove back, and when he looked at it, he loved it. He wanted it. And after I told him, absolutely no, three times, we bought it. <laughs> for $1,500, that was the beginning of nine months of regret. The car barely ran. The interior was torn up. The U-joints were shot. The car shimmied and shook when you drove it. Then how did we get it home? I needed a driver. So I called a neighbor kid, Luke, who was 16. I said, Luke, what are you doing Monday? He said, I'm going to school. <laughs> I said, can you get out of school Monday and go back up to the North Shore with my son and me, kind of a you know, day off? While I drive the Camaro back, you can drive my car back. He said, no problem. Never told his parents. <laughs> the next day, I got a call from Luke's dad scolding me for taking him out of school without asking. Wondered how I could be so stupid. My wife reminded me the other day that I, that I actually wrote the excuse note to get him out. I can't believe I did that. I've matured since then. 
drove the car home, and it sat in our driveway all winter long, snow covered on top. Had to have several mechanics get it started for us in the spring. The only time my son ever drove it was when he snuck out of the house with his two friends, Tony and Zach, with no driver's license, took a spin for two miles down to the lake and back, but it lurched and stalled the whole way because he'd never driven a stick shift. He just understood it in theory but never tried it before. It sat in our driveway three more months until he sold it to another 15-year-old kid whose dad made the same stupid mistake that I did. Now, I'm a fairly discerning person. How could I make such a bad decision? Now, thankfully, it wasn't a life-altering decision that would bring years of regret. But what if you're trying to decide what school to attend or go back to school or what career to pursue? What if you're trying to decide, you know, should I buy a new house, be a stay-at-home parent, or accept a new position that will require that we move? Should you date, move in with someone? Or get married and have kids. Friends, these are high, high stakes decisions that you can't afford to get wrong. Here's another question. Where does God come into it? Is God even interested in our daily decisions? Does God have a plan for us and is he willing to guide us? He is. God, friends, God has a plan for every person in this room, all campuses, God has a specific plan for your life, and he wants to guide you. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know, God says, I know the plans already. They're already set. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for what? For good, not for bad. God's got good plans, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God's plan is for our good, for our well-being, to give us a hope-filled future. But some people think if they let God lead them that God's going to ruin their life, restrict their fun, turn them into a religious boar who can't hunt fish or listen to Eric Church. That's not the God I know. God loves country music, I think. <laughs> God wants to give you a great future and enrich your life. But what specifically are God's plans? And how do you make decisions that line up with God's plans? I'm going to give you three ideas, and this first one is killer. I hope you get this down. God's plan is more about the person you become. This is so key. God's plan for you is more about the person you become and less about the job you take, places you go, or things you do. As a Christian... I've prayed and asked God to guide, guide me all my life, and with every ma major decision I've ever made about school, career, money, debt, or family, God has never bonked me on the head and said, this is precisely, Bob, what I want you to do. Not because God doesn't care about those things, but he cares more about the person I become, because here's the truth. Who I become will determine what I do and where I go. God is more concerned about the person you become than the, the daily decisions that you make. That when I become a certain kind of person filled with God's wisdom and filled with God's character, I'll begin to know what God wants me to do. 
and where God wants me to go. In fact, if you do a Bible search of phrases like God's plan or God's will, it's usually about becoming a certain kind of person. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, God chose us before the foundation of the world. This was God's plan for you to be holy, to be blameless in his sight. Because when you're a holy and blameless person, when you're a person of character, and you're a person of godliness and wisdom, you're going to begin to know what God wants you. Look at look uh, Romans 12, 2 says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think about life and relationships and money and all these things. Then, God says, then you will know what God wants you to do. The way you find out what God wants you to do is by letting God change you, change the way you think, then you will know what God wants you to do. I'm telling you, it's less about making the right decisions and more about becoming every single day the right kind of person that God wants you to be. 25 years ago, I got a degree at Penn State University, but I I didn't want to teach speech at a university for the rest of my life. I wanted to get back leading a church again. So I interviewed all over the country. It came down to five churches, one of them in Michigan, one in Pennsylvania, and three here in the Twin Cities. And I was interviewing with these churches, and all, all five were about the same size, good locations. And all five churches said this to me. Bob, we believe it's God's will that you become our pastor. <laughs> How, how can that be possible? That all five would say, we believe it's God's will that, that you come to, to our church. I mean, how could that even be? One church even sent me a dozen roses, a box of chocolates. They should have sent me hunting boots and a shotgun. Then I'd have known. That would have been God's will. But here's, here's what I learned. Here's what I learned through that experience. That I could have gone to any one of those five places and been in God's will. Any one of them. That God's will is more about me being a faithful leader no matter where I go than it is about the specific place. That God's will for me is to be a person of character and godliness no matter where I go. So if you're a young person starting to date here today, I'm telling you, God is more concerned about you being a godly person then he is about you finding the exact right person to date. Because if you focus on being a godly person, you're going to find and attract the right kind of people to date. First Thessalonians says this, it is God's will for you. It is God's plan for your life to be sanctified. It means to be holy, to be pure, to be people of character, making right character decisions, to be saints, that you avoid sexual immorality of all forms and control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. I, I bring this up because some people think that it's God's best for them to sleep around. It's God's best for them to be sexually immoral. It's God's best for them to live together without the commitment of marriage. But I'm telling you, that is not God's best for any single person here, any person at all. All of that leads to relational damage, loss, and regret. God's best for you is to be sanctified, to be sexually and morally 
pure. Because when it comes to making decisions, I'm telling you, when it comes to making decisions about work or school or money or relationships, it's more about the person God wants you to become and less about what you should do. Okay, second idea. God's plan for you is to learn to listen to God's voice. God has never spoken to me audibly. Thank God. That would scare me to death. Someday he will. But God speaks to us by his spirit. He prompts us. He nudges us. And we need to learn to recognize his voice. Two weekends ago, I was in South Dakota hunting, and it was a great trip. Got to show you at least one photograph. But I always spend three to $400 on these trips with food, gas, license, housing. Then my dog, who just had a $250 vet bill, cut his leg on some barbed wire. So off to the vet in South Dakota I went, and there's Blue uh, helping the vet figure things out in his drawer there. Uh, then we were planning a trip to Missouri to visit uh, my son-in-law and daughter over Thanksgiving. And so I knew he'd be spending more money doing that. And whenever we have a spending spree like that, We like to tighten our belt a little bit. So I was driving home from South Dakota, and I called my wife after the 4 o'clock Saturday service to see how it went, how Jason did speaking, and Lori said it was a great service. And remember, if you were here two weekends ago, Jason spoke a fantastic message about our responsibility to the poor. My wife said, Bob, the service was great, but I should tell you that after that service, we are a lot poorer. (laughs) She said, I quadrupled what we had talked about giving. I was quiet on the phone. She said I was going to give this amount, but by the end of the service, I knew that God was speaking to me, so I quadrupled it. And I thought, well, God didn't speak to me about that. But what do you do? What do you do when your wife says that God spoke to her? about giving a certain amount. Monday morning, I poked my head into Jason's office. I said, you owe me a lunch. (laughs) That message cost me big time. Now, the same thing happened to many of you. You came to church that weekend, two weekends ago, and God spoke to you by his spirit, and you ended up giving a lot more than you expected, and maybe you wish you would have skipped church that day. But when you're in a church setting like that where God tends to speak to people through worship and teaching you're going to begin to recognize his voice and he will lead and prompt you to do things you didn't expect, even decisions in your life. And honestly, I don't know how or when, but I do believe that God is going to honor and bless my wife's generosity and yours as well, who gave that day. And we might never see the effect on this side of heaven, but I believe someday we're going to get to heaven and there will be people who come running to you and running to my wife and say, your gift fed my family and kept us alive. Your gift helped build a church where I found Christ. We're in heaven today because you listened to God's voice and you quadrupled your gift while your husband was hunting. And I believe for all eternity, there are going to be people who are grateful to those of you Who gave to those who are less fortunate than us because you listened to God's voice two weeks ago? 
Learn to listen to God's voice. Third way to find God's plan and learn God's plan. God's plan for you is to find out where God is working and join him there. One of the ways you discover God's plan or will for your life and start making great decisions is when you find out where God is working and you just join him. Find out where he's working and you join him. My nephew is a history teacher at Hastings High School. And a few years ago, Andy, Andy Lutz is his name, Notice God begin to work in some of his students' life, and so Andy decided to join God. Didn't know what to do or what it would look like, but he just wanted to join God. So he started an FCA chapter, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and now Andy has over 100 students meeting for Bible study and prayer before class at Hastings High School, which is like way over the river, other side. I mean, he could just show up every day and teach history. But now 100-plus kids will also find, and by the way, this is a a special night where they opened it up for the community and other schools, and it was called the Field of Dreams, and the gospel of Christ was presented by Andy and some of his leaders at high school. There's hope. One day, Jesus approached two brothers, Peter and Andrew. They didn't know who Jesus was. They'd probably heard about him. But Jesus asked the two brothers to join him. They were out fishing, and Jesus simply said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And I love Matthew 4, what it says, at once, they left their nets, and they followed, I mean, there was no plan, there was no strategy, there was no clarity about what they'd be doing or where they'd be going. They They just joined him. They didn't know. And the Bible says they left their nets because when you join in where God is working, you often have to leave something else. You might have to leave your comfort zone or what makes you feel secure. You may have to leave a certain commitment or a certain relationship that's holding you back and sucking all your time. To pursue God's plan for your life, you often have to leave something behind and join him. But bottom line, when it comes to making great decisions and knowing God's plan for your life, I'm telling you, it's more about being a godly person. It's more about recognizing God's voice and then joining him where, where he's working than it is knowing specifically what it is I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do, where to go. I want to I end our service today by telling you about a decision that I was involved with 14 years ago that had no clear answer, but it was the most important decision of my professional life and really for this church. It's going to take a few minutes, so just hang with me. But 14 years ago, we were a single campus at White Bear Lake. And we had grown from 350 people to 4,000 people in 10 years with seven services. There was no campus in Lionel Lake, Spring Lake Park, Blaine, Woodbury, or Coon Rapids. It was just White Bear and nothing else. The church board and I were faced with a decision to either limit ourselves to that campus and kind of just stop reaching people or find 80 acres and share with others what God had brought into our lives. 
I will never forget the night when eight of us sat around a little table at White Bear. And after months of praying and searching, I looked at each of those seven board members and I said this. I said, if we get this decision wrong, it could destroy our church and cost several of us our careers. Should we find 80 acres and build, knowing it will be millions of dollars that we don't have, or should we just play it safe? and stay here at White Bear. Time came for a vote. There was no fanfare. There was no great celebration. It was a very sober moment. And I had each board member weigh in, went around the table, and each one of them said, I believe God is working. We should move forward. Honestly, that vote was insane. It was unreasonable, counter to all my values regarding going into debt. It was a vote based not on what made good economic sense, but purely on God's unmistakable prompting to join him where he was working. We had to leave what was comfortable and safe for something that was really, really hard and completely unpredictable. So we purchased 92 acres in Lionel Lakes in a cornfield, and It was going to be a $28 million project. But on the weekend, the exact weekend, we were going to launch a major financial campaign to raise money for this project. The exact weekend, 9-11 hit in 2001. The stock market lost nearly 40% of its value. Gas prices jumped to $5 a gallon, and the nation was in trouble. We hoped to raise $24 million in two campaigns, but we only got 10 for a $28 million project. By the time we finalized the plan, we had to borrow $18.5 million, but no bank would fund it. U.S. Bank told us, you're making a big mistake. But we found a lender in Milwaukee, (laughs) cheeseheads, who took a huge risk and lent us $18.5 million over 25 years. Then we spent the next two years fighting neighborhood groups who opposed us, and a divided city council who narrowly passed it by a three-to-two margin. Now you think about it. If it's God's plan, wouldn't you think it would have been a 5-0 vote? (laughs) Nothing is ever easy. You think if it's God's plan, it's going to be easy. It's not easy. Nothing is ever easy following God, I'm telling you, but we persisted. Finally, the building was built, completed in 2005. We had this enormous enormous debt, and we planned a huge marketing strategy to open the doors of Lionel Lakes for the first time. We said, invite all your friends. The night we opened, a blizzard of epic proportions (laughs) hit the Twin Cities. Two feet of snow fell. I actually, I remember this so vividly. I was walking across the parking lot to come into Lionel Lakes for the first service ever Saturday night. Snow was pelting my face. It was going sideways, and I did this. Really, God? Why tonight? That's what I said. Didn't understand it. But 8,000 people came that weekend. The next year it was 9,000, then 10,000, then 12. Today we have six campuses with an average weekly attendance of 22,000 people. But it all goes back to that little table when eight people said, I know this is crazy, 
but we think we've heard God speak. And we want to join him in reaching the Twin Cities for Christ. There's one more part to this story that showed us that no matter how costly or hard it's been, it truly has been God's plan. You know, $18 million of debt is really hard on a church, and it's really hard on me, the leader. And for the first six years, I didn't sleep real well. It was weighing heavily on my spirit. But four years ago, in 2011, we did another financial campaign just to pay the bills. And there was a person who was new to our church, and he was finding new life in Christ here. And one day he called and asked me to meet him for lunch. Met him downtown Minneapolis, and he's a financial manager, so I was going to ask him for a donation to our campaign. I began my pitch, and about halfway through, he interrupted me, and I thought I heard him say, Bob, forget about that. I think I'm going to pay the debt for Lionel Lakes. And I... I didn't know if I had heard him correctly because it was noisy in the restaurant. And I, I, I said, I said, what'd you say? He said, I, I'm going to pay off the Lionel Lakes debt. What is it, 17 million or so? I'm going to take care of that. My jaw dropped. Uh, but people have said that, said things like that to me before. I was guarded. That was four years ago, and I don't know how to tell all of you this, and this is fairly emotional for me, but as of this weekend, on the 10th anniversary of Lionel Lake's campus, this individual and his wife sent the final check for $1.7 million, and today, Lionel Lake's is completely debt-free. It's unbelievable. Fifteen, fifteen years early, debt-free. I want to read part of the letter this person sent to me just recently, but it's really for all of us. He says, Dear Bob, it was four years ago we met for lunch, and you seemed to be more fidgety than usual. When you asked me to make a donation to the campaign, I understood why you were so nervous. You need to learn to ask for God's money with less guilt. I can recommend a good counselor for you. As I recall, I ignored your request. I told you that I was going to pay off the Lionel Lakes mortgage, which totaled about $17 million. I wasn't sure you heard me correctly, so you called me back a week later to check on me. <laughs> then you had me meet with your executive pastor, Scott Anderson, to repeat what I said. And while I was paying off the mortgage, I told you I would not participate in any fundraising campaigns outside of that. Why did I do it? I wanted to honor God for the many blessings he's bestowed on my life. Giving to this church seemed an appropriate way to honor God. My wife and I love the way Eaglebrook has transformed so many lives in such deeply fundamental ways. Our devotion to God in Eaglebrook has become the bedrock of our marriage and our life. Paying off the loan appealed to me for three reasons. First, I thought the church owed way too much money and I could either grouse about it or try to fix it. Second, I like the lack of glamour. Nobody likes paying off a loan, so I thought I'd do it. Third, the amount was large enough to qualify as sacrificial giving. My palms were sweating when I committed to it. The loan is now paid. It is finished. 
God has blessed me in so many ways. My marriage is stronger than ever. My relationships are peaceful with my three sons, three stepsons, three daughters-in-law, and three grandkids. My relationships with my associates are strong, and our company is thriving. The financial blessings God has given me has enabled me to help many people who need it. When they ask me how they can repay me, I tell them to pay it forward, to help somebody else who can't repay them. So with this letter... I'm asking the great people of Eagle Brook to pay it forward. Bob, you and the staff are trying to reach as many people for Christ as you can, but we need resources to do it. Can you imagine, he says, if we could put additional campuses and other communities entirely from contributions without going into debt or doing campaigns? And then he has this final paragraph to everyone here, especially. So to the people of Eagle Brook, please follow my lead. Step out in faith. If you're giving to church, this church today, please increase it a lot. Make your palms sweat. If you're not giving today, please start. Developing the habit of giving will reach other people like God has reached you and will bring peace and joy to your lives. God deserves our very best. He says thanks for listening. One of my very good friends is Pastor Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. For whatever reason, we've become really close over the past few years. I'm on one of their boards. He's traveled the world over his lifetime, written dozens of books, talks to pastors all over the world, visits churches all over the world. He said this to me two weeks ago. He said, Bob, in all of Christendom, that's the word he used, Christendom, in all of Christendom, I have never seen anything like this. Do you believe God had a plan for us in all of Christendom? I've never seen someone pay off a mortgage. Four real quick conclusions and we'll be done. First, taking on 18.5 millions of debt to build Lionel seems like a specific one-time event to me that I don't see us repeating. Sort of like Noah building the ark, that was a one-time thing. Moses crossing the Red Sea was a one-time thing. That was a very specific leading of God to go into that amount of debt to build this church. Second, sometimes God's plan defies reason for your life as well. Sometimes it defies reason. There were two insane decisions to build Lionel and for this person to give $17 million to it. I texted him last week. I said, what would you have said to someone who predicted that in 10 years you were going to give $17 million to a church? He texted back and said, I would have told them they were certifiably insane. Sometimes God's plan seems insane. Third, often when God tells you what to do, he won't tell you how he's going to do it. It's annoying. Sometimes God will lead you, and he's not going to give you the details. You just have to follow him. Ten years ago, when we decided to build Lionel Lakes Campus, we had no idea how we were going to pay for it. Now hundreds of you sacrificed over the years, and we wouldn't be here were it not for you. But we had no idea this was going to happen, and this person had no idea we even existed ten years ago. But God knew, and God brought both our church and this guy together to fulfill God's plan. Oftentimes, you won't know the details, but you still got to follow. Finally, 
Gang, I have never felt so energized and optimistic about the future of our church. you got to know that God is with us. God is for us. And all he wants to know is if we're going to continue to join him where he's working. And I know we're going to because I know the heart of this church. I'm telling you, knowing God's plan for your life really is about being a godly person. It's more about who you are and less about what you do. Knowing God's plan requires that you listen to his voice and you follow him, even if it defies reason. And finally, knowing God's plan happens when you see God working somewhere and you just join him. So I have three quick questions. Where do you see God at work in your life? Where do you see God working at your school or at your job site or in your family? And are you willing to join him? Second question, are you open to hearing God's voice and just obeying him, even if it doesn't make sense? The final question, are you more concerned about being the right kind of person filled with godliness and character than what you do, where you go, who you're going to date? If you're more concerned about being a godly person, I'm telling you, you're going to experience God's great plan for your life because the God that I know and the God that most of you know really does want the best for your life. And now, at the Lionel Lakes campus, we have cookies for everybody. I don't know what you're going to do at the other five campuses. It's kind of tough luck, but... But let's all stand together and pray about that and be on our way today. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for the work that you've done in this church. I just, every day, shake my head. Can't believe it. Can't believe that, God, you allowed me to be a part of it. What a great church. It's the hope of the world. We look around and we see our world crumbling around us, and God, you are the hope. Jesus, you're the one. There is no other answer, there is no other truth, there is no other way or life but through you, Jesus, and we just pause in this moment 10 years later to thank you for letting us be a part of this thing. And we will serve you to the end. I will serve you as long as you want. I pray that you will heal every wound Break every chain so that we can be free to serve you until we see you face to face. We love you and we have worshipped you this weekend, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Been a great day, hasn't it? Great day, everybody.